everyone. Welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we're going to talk about fish. So what's the deal about fish, Phil? I love cooking with fish. Fish is one of those like noble ingredients, no? There's something about it where it's like, I think it's really easy to fuck it up. But like, if you get it right, it's like, I feel like it's one of those things that like very few places get it right. It's like some people, they get it to a state where it's like, it's all right. It's okay. It's not completely cooked to shit. But there's really few places that really nail fish cooking. No, and, and this other reason I, I've noticed that like in high-end restaurants, always fish is like a, a big deal. You know, that there is like a, a specific supplier and sometimes everything comes at the same time and people go crazy like, like uh, cleaning fish and packing it and whatever, processing it just at the moment when, when it arrives because the cold chain is so critical and that, that there are so many aspects that, that people have to take care of. And if you do everything right, but the product is not good, you wasted your time anyway. So the, there are like many, many indicators to, to get a, a right fish on a plate. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. It's like the sourcing is super, super important. I mean, even more so than with meat, you know, and then also like the attention to detail in the execution, you know, and also kind of just a general understanding, you know, like of what's happening because it's not like you can just press on it and be like, oh, this is medium, this is medium. Well, it doesn't work with fish. So, you know, like uh, Fergus Henderson from St. John Restaurant, you know, at one point he said, good chefs have to use their Jedi senses, you know, as in sort of like feeling what is happening. And that, I think that's really true of a fish that you kind of have to, you just have to cook it a lot and handle it a lot and just have a feeling for what's going on when you're preparing it. Right, like they're developing an an intuition to know where, when it's right, when it's done, what's the point? Because you kind of have to guess like, okay, I know this is okay because I've done this many times, but I can prove it, you know, like I won't like stick a thermometer into the center of the fish or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like either people go, people either overcook it or they really focus on this idea of it has to be glazy in the center, you know, like a little bit raw. And then they overdo that. So then you end up with a fish that has this like raw gelatinous center in the middle. And then you cut it open. You see that it's like a little bit shiny and glazy in the center. And people think like, oh yeah, look at me. I, I cooked this really, really well. But actually it's like, no, you didn't cook it enough. Like it's about cooking it just enough, you know, like oaxing out this, this moment where it's just cooked enough. And then anything after that is overcooked. I love this uh, Basque technique of grilled fish where they, they cut it in butterfly and grill it on one side. Uh, just one side. So the, the upper side is usually still raw, but just just a little bit, you know, like, it just needs a little push to get done. So uh, what people do here is they bring olive oil to a high temperature with slices of garlic and a little bit of chili and they pour that on on top which is a, a technique that I have seen in in Japanese cuisine mainly like, like doing this with carpaccios but it's a tradition here sometimes they also add uh, like a splash of vinegar to to this so it's kind of like a super hot dressing that they pour on top and this is you won't see a place where where they do it wrong because it's actually a pretty safe technique you know, to get the, the the proper cooking point without having to think too much. It's, it's kind of safe, you know, like to do it this way. Yeah, definitely. And this like cutting this like garlicky oil with like this like white vinegar 
makes this super, super delicious dressing, especially often then when the fish often like it's also doused on the fish as it's grilling, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They brush it on top. Yeah, yeah. And then depending on the fish, often, you know, the this dressing will kind of like seep onto the plate and the gelatin from the fish will kind of like get released with it. And then, you know, like sometimes in very specific places, you see them kind of mixing up these like gelatinous juices with that dressing and emulsifying them at the table and then dressing the fish again next to the table with it. That's and so I think crazy. That's, yeah, I've seen that. And that's super unique. And if you haven't experienced it, it's it's a really crazy thing because it changes your, like, it really changes the, I hate this word, but it changes the mouthfeel of the fish. You really have to sort of like lip smacking kind of sticky sort of tasty fish sensation when you're eating the fish. Super nice. Yeah, like I've been to, to Elcano a, a couple of times and this also happens. Like, you know, the maitre comes to the table and explains all the different parts of the fish and how it behaves in the sea and why the how the different parts taste together while he's doing exactly what you just said, like emulsifying the sauce with the collagen of the fish and, and pouring it on top. So it's like a super amazing experience. Yeah, totally. I mean, the understanding that they have at El Cano is crazy about also, you know, the flatfish is sort of like which side is facing the sun, which side is facing the the ground of the ocean with the different colors, you know, and like what parts of the fish work more, kind of like how you would think of like a, a cow, you know, sort of like, oh, this muscle moves a lot, so it's a lot tougher and this muscle doesn't move a lot. So it's got more fat marbling and nobody really thinks of, about fish like that, um, but they do, you know, and it makes total sense that different parts of the fish, especially when you have a big fish like a turbot, they are different you know they have a different texture they have a different amount of you know like fiber and gelatin and and those, those sorts of things that's a super super interesting approach uh like a crazy if we talk about fish i would say the craziest techniques the most sophisticated and complex that you can find are in japan and you work in in japan let's talk about ikejime because that that's a crazy technique to explain I'll say the way I understand it, and and then you can li like talk on, on that. Like the the way I understand it is that you fir first catch the fish uh, alive, and and you hit it in the head so it gets a little bit dumb. And at that point, you put like kind of like a a, a super fine nail through its uh, how do you say this spine cord? Spine, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to to give it like a, a proper depth so the muscles. Loosen something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's there's different ways of doing it. There's one way where you have this like little hook that kind of looks like a fishing hook on a, like a stick, and you kind of like insert that at a spot behind the eye, so that you kind of like go right into the brain. Uh, so you instantly kill the fish. That sounds very brutal and very gruesome, but actually it's very humane because it instantly kills the fish. Right, instead of in you know not uh, so well-practiced fishing habits where the fish just kind of like gets thrown into the deck and suffocates and it's like flopping around and kind of stressing itself out and also damaging itself, you know, or like, you know, fish that just kind of get whacked over the head. And so it's like they get hematomes and, and also a lot of, a lot of stress and is released into the, the muscles of the fish, you know, which is the fillets. And all of that affects the taste and, and just, you know, uh, before we go on and talk about Ikejime, you know, like, I think that's like one of the main things is the blood in the fish, you know, 
the like blood is the thing that makes fish taste of an irony and fishy, you know? So basically you don't want any blood. You don't want any hematomes. You don't want any punctures and you want to get the blood out of the fish as quickly as possible. Because it's, it's going to be used for sashimi. That's the reason you don't want to see red dots in your sashimi. Exactly. Because if you eat it raw, all those like off tastes are really, really apparent. So like you said, you know, the fish gets killed and then two incisions are made where basically the neck is just behind the gills at the spine and at the tail. Incisions that cut through the spine, but not all the way through the fish. And then a very long needle is inserted into the, into the spine that break. And uh, so, you know, from the neck down to the tail. And then it's kind of like moved back and forth to make sure to destroy and cap all of those nerves. And what that does is that the fish is immediately completely nerve dead and the rigor mortis doesn't set in. So rigor mortis is, um, as most people will know, the tensing of the muscles after something has died. It happens in most animals, you know, in fish, in, in mammals and everything. You know, when you die, you have this like stiffness. And that doesn't happen because you cap the nerves. So that is one part that's very important. But then the other part of Ikejima that's really important is that then after that is done, the fish gets put into an ice bath for a certain amount of time. Now, this has the effect that the blood gets to circulate out of the fish through the spine. So it kind of bleeds out through the tail and through the neck into the water. And then afterwards, you take the fish out, you dry it and you prepare it as it would. You know, the result that you get from that is a very clean, firm, like almost sparkling piece of fish, you know, that has a completely different texture, a super, super clean taste. And visually is also very pure, you know, it's just very, very pure. It just makes, it gives you like a 10 time better quality of fish if done right. It also comes to my mind, I would say like an old school French chef would say that you don't want to eat your fish super fresh, like freshly killed from the day. Like you would, you would, you would prefer to wait like two days. So the, the meat resins isn't, we're, isn't that like a contradiction with Japanese and French or, or, or these are different approaches for different things or what, what's your thought on that? So, I mean, the way that I've seen it is that, and the way that I do it myself also is that uh, it really depends on the fish that you have. Obviously, some fish are leaner, some fish are fattier. And I mean, uh, keeping with the example of Japan, when I was in Japan, we would age different fish for a different amount of time. Some fish we would you know, kill on the day and use them. And some fish we would deliberately leave to dry for a couple of days. Obviously, just like with dry aging, you know, like when you dry something, the moisture from the flesh kind of like evaporates and everything else that's there, the fat and, you know, everything else gets more and more concentrated. With uh, things like a turbot, for example, and also like, especially if you want to grill a fish, it's really beneficial if you age it a little bit because the skin dries out really nicely. There's no residual because the, the, the flesh also absorbs water. That's also why it's kind of counterintuitive to put this fish in water to bleed out for five minutes. Because like the way that I learned in Western cooking is that you don't want fish to touch water ever. You want it to, to wash it as quickly as possible, but you don't want to keep the fish lying in water because it'll just soak it up, right? 
But because the fish is still whole when you do that, it's kind of okay because the actual fillets of the fish, they don't touch the water. And then, yeah, drying it out, does that. Also for the skin, when you, you know, you have, for example, your example of butterflying fish, if you have a sea bream and you butterfly it and you leave it open in the fridge with the skin, just like the flesh touching whatever you have it on, the tray, the plate, whatever, and the skin being open, it dries out. And then when you grill it, it gets super, super crispy, like shattering crispy. And obviously the flavor of the fish gets more intensive. But also in Japan, what we would do often is that we would take fillets of fish and to draw out that moisture even quicker, we would really lightly salt it and leave it for a couple of hours and then really quickly wash it off. So it's like a very quick dry brine. Really quickly wash it off. Yeah. Have it dry. Yeah, I wanted then to talk about brines and salt as well, because that's something, also something about fish that you do with fish that you would never do with meat, like pre-salting or making quick brines uh, to, to have like, like, like uh, a proper amount of salt, uh, like, like completely, uh, how to say, standardized for, for long, large batches. Let's say for an event of 100 people, you want to do something like that, you know? So you, you're sure that all the salt is okay for the 150 whatever pieces that you're going to cook that day, which is something nobody would ever do with meat, you know? Like I, I think that salt is also like uh, super relevant to talk about like how to use it and what to do and not to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even for the, we were even doing it for things like sashimi, you know, it's like, um, it really depends on the size and the fat content and, you know, what you really want from that fish. You know, some fish you want to leave completely untouched and just clean it nicely. You always want to have it dry. You know, you don't want the fish to be sitting in its excess liquid. Um, but yeah, some pieces we would salt and then wash again, you know, and then pat dry. And it would change, really change the texture, make it really meaty and tender. And I think that like, these are sort of like the aspects that, and also it draws out, you know, residual blood also, you know, if there is like a little bit of a bloodline left in the fish, you know, you salt it and it draws that out a little bit more. It gives you really, really clean uh, flavor of fish. Um, and I think these sorts of things, it's like, it's super easy to fuck that up. You know, it's like you put a little bit too much salt on, you leave it for two hours and you have semi-cure yeah, fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you don't clean the fish correctly, you know, you take the guts out the wrong way, you puncture the gallbladder, you know, your fish is going to taste awful. You can't fix that, you know, unless you put a ton of lemon on it. That's probably the reason the fish chef in a restaurant, it's always like a highly skilled chef, like someone who knows to do all of this uh, properly, like, which yeah, is not and, easy at and all. Also, and also because fish is very expensive, you know? So if yeah. you fuck it up, then you've wasted a lot of money. I wanted to, to, to tell a, a story about like my favorite fish that I remember was, uh, something, nothing pretentious at all. Like there is a, a beach in Margarita Island in Venezuela. It's called Playa Parguito. And they would do this grilled fish inside like of, um, banana plant leaves and ají dulce. They, they made like this. It was just ají dulce salt and, and, and kind of like a papillot, you know, and, and grilled and, The memory I have of this is amazing, you know? And I remember someone, I, I'm, I'm telling this because you, you said about that some fishes are leaner, others are fattier, and, and you have to understand your, your product and, and how to cook it and what to do with it. And, and you can't say one is better than the other. They're just different fishes, you know? And I remember someone telling like really pretentiously that, no, oh, as you know, Nordic fish is much better than the fish in the Caribbean. And I was like, what the fuck? 
yeah, and this it, is scientifically provable because it's fattier and this and that. And I was like, um, okay, you, you can't say that, you know, like, not, not just like that. Uh, but anyways, yeah, like, I, I think it's important to, to understand the, the quality of the fish and what to do with it independently of that some are better or worse, you know, as long as you have a fresh product. Absolutely, yeah. And I think this whole idea of like fattier is better is really like is is really superficial i mean you know like i think sushi is the perfect example for that because if you think like you know like let's say western audience you know for them what's their favorite sushi it's the fatty otoro you know it's the fatty tuna but if you ask a japanese person or like somebody who's an expert they find that the leaner tuna pieces are much more interesting than the and much more enjoyable often than the fatty tuna pieces it's very easy to have something super fatty and it'd be tasty, you know, but that's just like, it's a very, like, it's a very brute way of nice, you know, like I, I like it too. It's delicious, but you know, if you have a really excellently prepared piece of, you know, katsu, there's like a lean sort of like smaller tuna, like a bonito. It's, it's amazing, you know? And so this idea of fatty equals better. It's the same with beef, you know, it's still sort of like, oh, wagyu this, wagyu that. Yeah. Wagyu is very tasty, but if you have, you know, like, I mean, you and me know, I, for me, one of the best beefs that I've eaten is, uh, is, uh, the vaca gallega, you know, the dairy yeah. cow. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not particularly super fatty. Yeah. That, that's, know? that's not like a particularly expensive piece of special meat. That's just like a, a particular cut. That's it. Yeah. What about fish stock? What are your thoughts on that? You know, fish stock is really difficult because you also, you can't like making a nice fish stock is a bit of an art form. I think making stocks in general is a big art form. You know, it's not just throwing things into a pot and just bringing them to a boil. Not, I don't think you can make nice, you know, what we in French cooking, we call a fumé, a nice clean white fish stock. You can't do that out of any sort of old fish, you know, for example, like pod and those sorts of things and carp and um, they don't work as they they become too cloudy but you know i'm a big fan of making you know meat style sauces as in like like how you would make a jus where you roast the bones and you make like a base and then you make like intense sort of glazes but with fish bones when you kind of like have the spines and you roast it really nicely you have to be very careful with fish because it'll get really bitter very quickly and then you make a base and you cook a sort of like butter like a beurre blanc sauce but with this roasted base it's very very yeah especially that, nice that reminds me of the, uh yeah. the soup at del cano uh, you know the, the, the dark fish soup have you had it i haven't had it no unfortunately yeah like uh next time you go ask for it because it's it's like a um you know a starter it's just like a small bowl of super dark brown fish soup yeah nice amazing you know if you, if you get that right it's um it's a revelation but yeah cooking fish soup because you have all these like elements that can make it cloudy and smelly and uh, it's like it's it's not so easy i mean i like very much the, the way it's done here like for salsa verde you know that's almost yeah. like a fish parsley infusion you know it's like a super light uh, fish stock you know that, like and quickly cooked and not letting it boil never, you know, like something really, really delicate. Being delicate is one of the key things like with preparing fish. You can't be rough. It has to be, you have to be deliberate, you know. Um, one thing I also found really cool, what I saw in Japan is that uh, they were keeping the, 
I think it was the bones of, I might be lying now. It was either Fugu or it was Unagi. I think it was Unagi. I think it's the eel bones. Mm-hmm. And they were keeping the, the, the center bones and they were toasting them on the charcoal, like really lightly until they were like golden brown. And yeah, then they put I, them in sake. I've worked in a place, we would do our own Unagi sauce, like on the Jakitori grill. We would get la, like fresh eels from, from Northern Germany. And, and yeah, process the whole eel, roast the, the bones and making, as you said, like a dark fish sauce, but with eel, man, this was amazing. Like I I never had something like that. Super nice. Yeah. But I also, they put it in sake. It's like a thing that you like, uh, have then this like roasted fish bone sake and you have like a small shot of that. And that's also, that that was super crazy. I was like, wow, that's nice. You eat the roasted bones. No, you don't eat it. You just drink the flavored alcohol. Ah, yeah. okay. Ah, that's super interesting. That's super, super interesting. Yeah, I never saw that before. Yeah, that, that kind of re- reminds me, for me, it was also revealing at the ramen place the first time I, I saw rice tea. And I was like, what is it? Oh, yeah. It was green tea and they would add roasted rice to the tea to give it ri- roasted rice flavor. I thought that was pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's, it's that's called genmaicha. It's really delicious. It's like such a... I remember when I tried it the first time, I thought it was really weird, like, cause I couldn't relate to it, you know, but like now it's, it, it has this really homely feel, you know, this like roasted rice. Yeah. It's kind of reminds me like popcorns or something like that. Like yeah, roasted rice. Yeah. yeah. It's super delicious. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.